I began to think this week about significant discoveries. What comes to mind? Significant discoveries in human history. The what? The bread slicer. You know, Ellie, that, Im that implies that you weren't around before bread slicers, but you were, okay, okay, it's close, all right, I'm just thinking, all right. The microwave, you remember that deal? I'm, I remember the first time I put a donut in one and it came out, you know, it did five seconds, it came out, well, if you left it in too long, but, but you put it in just a few seconds, it was like, well, this is like they just cooked it, yeah, and that was a big deal. Tom? The George Foreman Grill. You really did get it started. Well, you think about it. I read a thick book a couple of years ago about the Wright brothers, David McCullough book. It's a really good book. And it's just, I mean, what those guys went through so that I could get on an airplane, you know, and go somewhere. Just crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry? Google. I don't know if that's, a, if that's a good discovery or not, but it's, it's huge. What I want to submit to you in the list of great discoveries, like the bread slice, I'm going to submit to you that, that um, really the greatest discovery of all time happened on the first Easter Sunday. Amen. I'm going to submit to you today, and by the way, pardon me for holding us in Easter for another week. I just have to, okay? You here last week. Well, you know, and I wasn't here last week. I was somewhere else. Um, uh, it was, isn't it interesting to think about, I think, um, never before and not since that morning has the absence of something conveyed such a profound message. Uh, the message, the discovery was what they didn't find not what they found. Uh, so I want us to kind of spend some time there. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. A couple of weeks ago when we were together, uh, we began to talk about, um, uh, we were talking about the Jewish religious leaders that were meeting together to plot to arrest Jesus, to have him put to death. They didn't want to create a public disturbance by doing so. So they found a willing ally among Jesus' 12 disciples. You and I know the story of Judas. So after the Passover meal, Jesus lead, leads his disciples from the upper room of the garden to the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a place he had brought them often. Judas had been there a lot. By the way, doesn't all of this intrigue uh, just kind of turn your stomach a bit? He guided those who arrested Jesus there. After that, there were a series of appearances before the Jewish ruling council, before Pilate. All that resulted in the cross. Of the four gospel writers, only Matthew records the concerns of the chief priests and the Pharisees that Jesus' disciples might attempt to steal his corpse. I think that's interesting. What did they know? Well, they know. In fact, they, they say it. We're going to read it in a little bit. They say, you know, he said he was coming back. What I find intriguing about that, they knew that, but the disciples didn't get it. So they make the tomb secure. 
to ensure against a hoax of some kind. Pilate agrees, gives them permission to take care of that detail. All four Gospels record the actions of devoted women who returned to Jesus' tomb to honor him after his death. I say return because they were there in burial, too. I did some reading uh, about kind of the, the sequence of events, and it's interesting that they probably, with uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who owned the tomb uh, that was supposed to have been his, and uh, Nicodemus, both of them from the Jewish ruling council, they... Um, accept the body from Pilate. They take it to the garden tomb. They prepare it for burial. Uh, the women are there to kind of observe all that. Out in kind of the, uh, kind of an ante area in front of the tomb. And then they place him in the tomb. And uh, uh, as was done, and certainly as was um, encouraged by uh, the leaders of the day, a stone was rolled uh, before it. Um, now, they're going to come back to finish the job they started when Sabbath began, began on Friday evening that we call Good Friday. Let's read a bit of this story. Can we do that? Cindy, can I get you to read? You want to read the first four verses of Matthew 28? Okay, let's read some parallel stuff just to catch it, all right? I want us to, if you were in Luke 24, somebody needs to read Luke 24, 10 in just a minute. Somebody got that? Thank you, Joe. And if somebody read Mark 16, 1, going to give it, thank you, John. It's going to give us kind of some parallel um, uh, info about this. Now, in John, in, in, in John's gospel, Mary Magdalene is alone. That doesn't, so as we compare, uh, by the way, one of the things, I, I got up early on Easter morning in Missouri, and I compared the four stories. I just wanted to spend some time uh, with the four Easter stories. And I realized that they're not inconsistent, they're just different perspectives. So was Mary Magdalene there? Yeah, she was there in, in, a, in a couple of the accounts. Were there others there? Yes, that's also true. Um, uh, so look at 2756. So if your Bible's like mine, you can just look across the page. Um, among them, okay, they were, they were, uh, this was a scene from the cross. Many women were looking on from a distance at the cross. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So we had, um, we had um, these women who were there at the cross, were there uh, helping with burial, and then they come back on the morning of, of the first Easter. Uh, Mark 16, 1. John, read that. Okay, uh, Luke twenty four ten. Joe, that's yours. Is the is is it a problem that there's a different list 
in each of the Gospels? No. Um, the commentators I read say it's probably all of them. There's probably four different women that come, okay? Uh, even though John only records that one of them came, all right? Now, one of them is kind of interesting. Well, it's very interesting to me. In two of the Gospels, we read them both. One of the Marys is described as Mary, the mother of James. That remarkable to you in any way? That would also be the mother of Jesus, who was at the cross. Remember, Jesus spoke from the cross to John about his mother. Behold, uh, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. Remember that one? If it were that Mary, the mother of Jesus, were part of this group that came on that first Easter, Easter Sunday morning, can you imagine the grief three days later of coming back to, to aid or at least observe your son's body being anointed? So uh, the, the word that goes in your first blank there, uh, a lot of anticipation, but a lot of grief. They were hoping to get, the anticipation was they were hoping to get somebody, uh, maybe the, uh, the temple guards that were, were uh, gathered in front of the tomb, they were hoping to get somebody to roll the stone away from them so they could do the work that they needed to do. There was a lot of anticipation about that. What are we going to do about that? Probably a little bit of hush discussion about that on the way because this was, after all, for them a very sacred place. I don't know about you, but I don't do a lot of talking when I go to a cemetery, do you? Uh, and if I do, it's kind of quiet. There's some anticipation of that. But there was also, if you think of, of, of Mary, there was a lots of grief for all of them, but certainly for her. They get there in verse 2. Um, an earthquake had happened. Now, um, again, I did some reading this week. Uh, look back of a, a chapter. Look at verse 50 and 51. When he died, there was an earthquake. I'm going I'm to read verse 27, 50, and 51. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top and the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So there's, there is, there is um, earthquake power when Jesus dies on the cross on Friday, Friday uh, at noon or so, afternoon, there's another earthquake that takes place. Now, um, we think, at least some think, that the earthquake took place, uh, it wasn't the earthquake that rolled the stone away. The earthquake took place when the resurrection took place, whenever that was. And Jesus didn't require help with the stone to get out of the tomb. You know, you, you see other, other appearances of him post-resurrection. He just kind of walks through the wall. He didn't really need that. So uh, the idea here is um, um, there was power in his death, and there was power in his resurrection, and there was certainly a powerful angel on the scene who rolled the stone away. So why did the angel roll the stone away? And I want to say, so you and I can look in there. They needed to see that. Jesus didn't require it. And you and I can look in there. He's not there. By the way, I think it's interesting. Uh, Sally Doyle, you've been to the Holy Land recently. 
there evidently is some not little controversy over where the tomb is. Am I, am I right? So there's one that's in a garden, and then there's another place off of Golgotha, from what I understand. Or am I getting it wrong? Okay, those are the same one. Where's the other one? True. I saw. I did a you know Smithsonian Channel thing or something like that on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's kind of interesting. Do you know why it's kind of funny this whole thing? Regardless, he's not there. I, I, I kind of want to think about that. Is he in the garden tomb at, at Golgotha? Is he where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is, which is traditionally some people believe they built this shrine around it? Does it really matter? No, he's not there. He's he's not really there. So it's kind of the deal. Uh, so an earthquake had unsealed the tomb for them to see. And in verse 3, we see a description of the angel that was kind of like, so the word description goes in your blank. The description of the angel was not unlike the description of Jesus when he came, um, when they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that description of he got really, really white. This angel was really, really dazzling white. That's kind of the, the story here. A fitting description. And in verse 4, not only did the ground shake, but the guard shook. Why? They were so afraid. Uh, they were so afraid. That's right. It's for Luke 2. Uh, uh, what caused them to shake? Fear of, but catch it, fear of what? Well, fear of reprisal. I think in, if, in context, I'm not going to read it again, but wasn't it fear of the angel? And by the way, in one of the gospel accounts, there were two of them, two angels. Uh, so the guys who were paid to watch this thing get disturbed by an earthquake that we think they fainted in the presence of this angel. Interesting. Military guys. There's some power being exhibited somewhere, right? And it's not where you would find it likely. Uh, the people who are armed were all shaken in their boots. Um, my dad's phrase for that was, they had snakes in their boots. <laughs> they faint. Now, there is, there is, some, uh, there is some conversation, and I tend to want to to take the Josh McDowell approach to this. That if you read 26 and 27, um, the uh, Jewish ruling council go to Pilate and say, hey, you've got you've to put a guard at the tomb. And uh, Pilate, in one of those accounts, says, you got a guard? Set a, set a guard yourself? I'm done with this. So I think it was, it was a temple guard that was there. I don't think it really matters a great deal. But, um, I've heard actually in recent days that that was a Roman guard. It doesn't really matter. All of them were trained, and they all would, would have been shaken in their boots, and probably all of them fainted like these guys. All right? So that's kind of the scene that the women find, 
And now they hear somebody speak. The angel's going to start to speak. John, can I get you to read 5, 6, and 7? Um, isn't that interesting? I put several references here. We won't run them, but you can run them. Um, way back to Genesis, certainly to, to Luke 1 and 2. When an angel appears on the scene, they typically appear suddenly, okay, suddenly and unexpectedly. So keep those two words in your head. When an angel appears, it's not like um, uh, there's an angel coming next week at 2.30 in the afternoon on Tuesday, okay? They come unexpectedly and rather suddenly, and they're kind of big, and as we saw a while ago, they're kind of bright. And so, invariably, the first words that angels speak are what? Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. By the way, they did not say that to the guards guarding the tomb. Uh, just think about that for a minute. There is, there is no record of them approaching those guys and say, boys, don't be afraid. Yeah, there's some good holy fear right there going on, and, and, they, and, they, and they had some. But they say to these women who approach the tomb, don't be afraid. The guards aren't the only fearful ones in this scene, and yet they are, okay? And then, and this is really, really important. In verse 6, there is a reminder of this announcement. Now, what I want to submit to you is that this was the greatest discovery in all of human history. And this is the greatest announcement in Matthew 28, verse, um, verse 6, in history. Let's, let's read it one more time. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. The greatest announcement of the greatest discovery ever. Okay. But I want you to look back with me. I put several references. We'll start with chapter 16. Okay. 16.21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Okay. Look at the next chapter, 17, verse 22 and 23. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Look at 20, verse 17. And Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. The most important part of this is a reminder. That's what goes in your blank. He has told them about it several times, yet they were completely shocked. Alfred Edersheim says that this is one of the reasons that we can't think that this was a plot 
It just doesn't make sense because they were also completely shocked. A reminder of this grandest of announcements. And then the angels say to the women, look at verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Okay, now, according to Josephus, the, uh, the great historian, the transmission of this is an interesting evidence of the truth of the gospel message itself. According to, um, to Josephus, women were not even allowed to testify in court. And girls, I don't mean to make you mad, but women weren't allowed to testify in court because their testimony would not be credible. Sorry, I didn't make that up. I'm reporting it, okay? Uh, don't, yeah, please don't, don't shoot the messenger. What I want you to think about about that is if I were making up the resurrection story, if Peter, James, and John and, and uh, uh, eight other guys were making up this story, okay, they wouldn't have put it in the mouths of women first. They would have changed it, I think. What, doesn't it stand a reason? If I were making up this story, if I had stolen the body and then began to make up this story, okay, doesn't it make sense that I would have put the message in the mouth of Peter or Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus, who were believers by this time? But they put it, the fact that the gospel writers, all of them, Put the original gospel message in the mouth of a, a woman or women actually gives it credibility that the story is not made up. There's an evidence here. Now, he says to them, you came seeking, okay? You came seeking. You have found what you, not what you came looking for, but so much better. You came seeking. You, be, you went from being a seeker to being a finder. Now you need to be a teller. Isn't that kind of true of us? I don't know how long your search took. I accepted Jesus at age eight. I can tell you, I could smell the building I was in, in my head. So for 55 years... I've been believing this stuff. You can do the math on that and tell how old I am. I don't know how long your search took, but there comes a time when you need to move from being a seeker to, to once you have found, then to being a teller. Okay, you found, you found what you came, not what you came looking for, for someone, something much better. So now go and tell that. To the disciples. So they did. Uh, it's interesting if you read the different accounts. Uh, in some of them, they ran. Um, in one of, the, one of the accounts, and I've forgotten which gospel it is. I think it's in Mark's gospel. It says that the women fled. What does that sound like? Their hair is on fire. Mine would be too. Okay. All right. So, all right. Look, let's go on now to verse 8. eight. John, can I get you to read 8, 9, and 10? <clears throat> <clears throat> Away from the tomb, afraid, yet 
need, a, need us to find a couple of verses here, so I'm going to hand these out real quick. Somebody, somebody go to 2729, just across the page. Who'll do that? Thank you, Dan. And 2649. Thank you, Darren. All right, now, notice their mixed emotions. I love the way this is reported. The words in my Bible say they were afraid yet filled with joy. <laughs> you know what that sounds like to me? Sounds like a groom right before the wedding. And, and often the joy is hard, hard to find. I'm just scared to death. You know, I, have I told you the story about um, I interacted with a, with a, a young um, mom of three who uh, wrote me this week and I had officiated her wedding 10 years or so ago. And I remember backstage that her husband, her husband-to-be, 30 minutes from then, was back in the, uh, in, in, in kind of an ante room with the rest of the groomsmen and uh, he had on with his tux a pair of Doc Martin shoes. Know what Doc Martin shoes are? They don't go with the tux. And I said, Sean, dude, didn't you get shoes, shiny shoes like everybody else that rented shoes? Yeah, I got them, but I don't like them. What? He said, no, I'm, I'm not going to wear those. I don't want to wear those. I said, what gives you the impression that anything about today is about what you want? <laughs> I don't remember if he changed his shoes or not, but I had to get my legs in. Afraid and joyful. Fear mixed with joy. That, it's interesting that mixed emotions there. And so they run to do what the angel has told them to do. And on the way, they stumble over somebody else. <laughs> Can you imagine this? We think he's alive. The angels told us he's alive. Wouldn't it be something if he were? And all of a sudden, there he is. Interesting word that he uses. Um, who was it that got 2729? Read it. Catch that word hail. Yeah. All right. Um, Darren, you're going to read 2649. Okay. Um, I, pro I probably need you to read one more verse. It's where, where Judas brings them to him. Is that, is that the next verse? In, now, this is in, uh, uh, I hope I'm in the right chapter. 2649? Yep. 49? Yep, 49. I don't know what I said. Yeah, read 49. Sorry, Darren. Uh, in my Bible, it says hail. It says greetings here. It's interesting. The soldiers that mocked him after they put up crown of thorns on his head, said, Hail, King of the Jews. Judas, when he greets him in the garden, says, Greetings or hail. The same word, Jesus, how ironic that Jesus uses the same word with the women who are fleeing the tomb. He says, Greetings, lady. Same word. 
I just, that just kind of puts, a, when I read that this week, it just kind of put a chill up my spine. How often does Jesus turn the story? Does he flip the message, flip the narrative? The greetings, uh, the hail, that, that word that meant so much negative, he turned it on its head. And in verse 10, he tells them to go and give a message to the disciples. Besides, which by the way, how would they ever get past the message, he's alive, but there's another message. What is it? Go to Galilee. Now, it's going to take several days before any of them do that. It's interesting. Um, uh, there are Jesus sightings in quite a few places in Jerusalem before this happens. But he says to them, I told you I would meet you in Galilee. And, and what literally begins to happen in Galilee is um, that's where, um, uh, that's where um, uh, they really live with him for about 40 days. Uh, they eat fish with him on the beach. You know that story. That's in Galilee. Um, he's gonna gonna meet with them and meet with five hundred of them at one time. First Corinthians fifteen says that's in Galilee. So he says, "I'll meet you there." There are other things going on. If you read Luke, you read about the road to Emmaus that happens in and around Jerusalem. But he says, "I told you, I'll see you. I'll get, we'll come back to Galilee," and he does. So that's, that's kind of an interesting part of the message. Now let's let's read kind of the postscript. John, go back to verse eleven and read down through fifteen, if you would please. Okay, now you could argue that the temple guards have failed at their job at guarding the tomb. I, I don't know what you want to do with that. Did they fail? Well, nobody stole the body, so they really didn't fail. But they couldn't change the outcome, could they? All right, so the temple guards have been there. The, the tomb is now empty. And so they go back by and see Annas and Caiaphas and say, guys, well, uh, this didn't go the way you'd planned. And they told the whole story. They tell the whole story, all the details of it. Annas and Caiaphas probably lost their lunch. And they said, okay, here's the deal. I know what you told us, but here's what you're to say. What did, you, what did they tell them to say? Jesus gate. There you go. Uh, fake news right here. Okay. And they, <clears throat> they said, this is interesting to me, that they, the, uh, the idea here and the word that goes in your, uh, the tomb guards have failed, as with Judas, money becomes the, quote, solution. With Judas, they gave him 30 pieces of silver in 2615, and they said, you let us know who he is. You give him up. Here's your money. They throw money at the resurrection hoax. All right? 
and neither one of them became <coughs> solved this, did it? Neither one of them were the solution. I think they were fearful they would lose their lives, for one thing. If Pilate had anything to do with it, and they posted a guard, and uh, they fell asleep, it's, it's, it's a death sentence. Or if Jesus was the Messiah, he may come back. And... There you go. Either way, there's some fear going on. So the, the chief priest and the scribe said, okay, if, um, if you'll just say this, Pilate gets wind of it, we'll take care of it. All right? Jesus gave. Now, I want you to go with me to Luke 24, 11. I'm going to read to you from Acts 1, one verse. In Luke's preamble to the book of Acts, he says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you have liked to have been in on that 40 days? As I was reading these four different messages, okay, this last four different um, uh, accounts of the resurrection, I read uh, Luke 24. Somebody read 24:11. I'm curious how your Bible says it. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. These would seem to them. This is the, when the women go back to tell Peter, James, and John and the other disciples he's alive just as he said. They considered it an idle tale. My Bible says they heard it as nonsense. That's what goes in your blank, by the way. They heard it as nonsense. Here's my question. How's this nonsense change your life? I was in two hospital rooms this week. Neither of them would be there. Neither hospital would have been there without this nonsense. Amen. Both of them started by church groups. Do you realize that what we're doing here this morning at 8.15 is utter nonsense? It just is. 18,000 people streaming through the doors of this place last week is absolute nonsense. If this is nonsense. My belief that I will see Rhonda's brother Ken again, that I'll see my mom and dad, that I'll get to talk to Ralph again. That Larry, you'll see your daughter again. Is nonsense. If this is nonsense. I work at a place that's identified by four letters and the third one is C. Dr. Fossil, you and I would have no job without this nonsense. Because the C says Christian. Uh, that whole stuff that I read in the paper, I was out of town. I missed the big announcement last week about, about 
uh, the potential of buying the other church. And that, I'm just very excited about that. But that's utter nonsense. <laughs> if this is nonsense. Are you catching this? 42 years ago when I stood in front of two preachers and declared to her, till death do us part, in a church was nonsense. And by the way, most of our world thinks marriage is nonsense. If this was nonsense. So, I just asked the question, Do you believe this nonsense? Do you, what are you going to do about your belief in this nonsense? The Bible simply says, go and tell it. Go and tell it. They did it. The reason, and because they did it, you and I heard it. Uh, Ron and I watched a movie about the Apostle Paul this week, and, and I just thinking, without him going to Rome and losing his head in Rome, most of us Gentiles would never have heard about this nonsense. So happy Easter. Hallelujah. It, Katie. What is the difference between our Easter and the Orthodox Easter? This is the Orthodox Easter today. It's, all in, it's about dating, and I really don't know the complete answer to that. You know, their date for Christmas is a little different than ours, too. They, they date, they uh, celebrate Epiphany more than they celebrate Christmas. And uh, so uh, it's just all in, in dating, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, their traditions are a little different from ours. Happy Easter, guys. Thank you. Tell all about the nonsense, will you? He is risen. He, he's risen indeed, buddy.